listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Keelguard Studios. Aaron, my man, what is up? And hello, everyone else out there in Bass Edge Nation. Welcome to another episode, episode Aaron number 386 of this wild, wonderful show we call Bass Edge Radio. How are you doing, brother? I am doing great, Kurt. I'm, I'm kind of missing those days when you opened up, you know, with the Adams family. That do 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 do. Yeah, used to do that all the time. And here's that's this is kind of our Halloween, you know, episode. But uh, regardless, I know you have been a busy person trying to plan for your upcoming Halloween costume. And in the meantime, I think you've been traveling to <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of shows in the tackle industry and. Uh, also trying to get ready for, I think, the very last BASS Open Tournament. Yeah, man, I am in full mode right now to uh, tackle Sam Rayburn. Man, I, I like these later events. This is one of the latest events that I've been able to fish over the last couple of years, actually. So, you know, I'll do the U.S. Open a lot of times. Missed the U.S. Open this year, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that closes out at Lake Mojave. But yeah, you know, Sam Rayburn, this time of year, you've definitely got more of this cool stuff. So often we always jump ahead there and really kind of that September time frame thinking about fall. But for the South, it's not really until now, you know, that October, November, even early December time frame down in my house at Lake Amistad that that really checks in. But it's happening right now and I'm excited about it. How has things been going on up your way in Missouri? Good. I mean, it is uh, definitely October, kind of like what you mentioned. You, you still getting, uh, we're still getting, I should say, some warmer days. But then, man, those nights, <laughs> you know, certainly starting to feel the coolness, I guess, kind of creep in. And I know we've talked the last couple episodes about potential fog delays and that. Uh, will that be a role for you, Kurt, down at Rayburn? Well, it could be. You know, lake temperatures are cooling. Uh, you get one of those fronts in those cool mornings. Water temperature still a much warmer than the air temperature this time of year, especially in the south, and, and you can have those issues. You know, it seems like it's a lot more prevalent on those narrow river-based systems like Table Rock, Red River, any of those smaller, narrow waterways. I don't know why that is. Maybe just because the weather, the wind, or, or something of that nature. But always in the fall, fog is uh, a player. And uh, you don't want to lose time out there on the water. But the key is to be safe. Sure, if, if sure. And it's more of a mental, of it's more of a mental pace, or you know, I guess throwing you kind of a curveball there when, when you're sitting there chomping at the bits, trying to get out on the water and get to your first spot. But uh, you yeah, know, you start second guessing. Do I have enough time to make that run? Or it can play mind games for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to uh, this next segment, and hopefully, something that you're going to take away and be able to use quite a bit of. Yeah, man, this is a, a neat deal. You know, the last couple weeks, I've had a lot of good conversations about this. Had a few friends, you know, and we hear about stuff all the time about guys having culling hiccups, but uh, we're going to dive into culling in our Seg B portion of this show. So y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss this neat little tidbit Aaron and I have for you about culling bass and being more efficient. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, as we alluded to in the opening, this segment B, man, we're going to talk about culling. We are going to talk about culling because... I've seen a lot of issues going around with culling. In today's age, bruh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually had a friend in an event uh, back in September that had a mishap. You know, he didn't realize this till he got to weigh in, but he realized that he had a 14-incher when everything else, and he had culled like a 16-incher, you know, like a three-pounder, and ended up weighing in a two-pounder. Lost, you know, a pound, maybe a pound and a half. Right. To his weight that he could have had because he called the wrong fish. How many times, Aaron, have we seen two pound penalties because an angler has six fish in their live well and they make that, a cast? That's what I was about ready to say. And, and or even coming back to right to the weigh in facility. I've seen it to where yes. uh, individuals have, you know, in one instance have actually uh, made it all the way to the scales. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, this is something that's not talked about a whole lot. And uh, actually, as I was speaking to my friend about this on the phone, my wife was in the car, Rhonda, and, and she said, you know, have you done a seminar about this? Because you make a lot of really good points as I was talking to my friend. And, and I said, you know, we really haven't. And, and we haven't talked about this on Bass Edge Radio. Here we are now talking about culling, ways to become more efficient on the water while culling, and how to avoid making culling mistakes. So, yeah, Aaron, there's, a, there's a lot of good systems out there, Kurt. So now it's absolutely. kind of a no-brainer, you know? So let, let's break down some of those systems. Let's break them down. So AccuCull. AccuCull is a great system. Uh, I see uh, actually, you know, just because he's been catching fish like crazy, and we actually interviewed him a, a few months ago, Nick LeBrun uses the AccuCull yeah. system, yeah. right? So so the AccuCull system is, is where you actually dial in on a board the actual weight of the fish, and then it relates to a color of cull ball that you put on the fish in the live well. So you know the actual weight. Used to be sponsored by this company, Aaron, back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Arden. What are those things called? Yeah, that is the uh, smart cull. And um, the, yeah, the original uh, system was it had the old school metal stringer style where you would have to pierce, you know, right. the, the fish's mouth. And now they've obviously they've adapted that to uh, the more conservation friendly, which is the clip. But on that particular system, Kurt, the floating balls themselves, they have a dial on them. So uh, you can put in there you know, pounds and ounces after, after you, in my case, you know, weigh the fish. And so then as you put that in your live well, uh, you know exactly what that fish weighs. And we can talk a little bit more about that, but there's, there's a lot of good systems out there. Yeah. You know, some of the first conservation systems out there was Cal Coast. Uh, they have a great little culling system that, that clips onto the fish's lip as well. 
and you know aligning with that new conservation where a lot of tournament organizations are requiring that conservation type culling system so it doesn't pierce the fish but uh, you got the calcos fishing they just have numbers on top of some foam deals that float in the live well and then you got the th marine really popular uh both the cow coast and th marine more on the balance beam style of culling whereas the AccuCull and ardent system is more on the weight you know getting the actual weight of the fish and then recording it then kind of knowing what to to utilize next aaron what kind of system are you using what do you like to use as your cull system well, on days that I actually get to call, Kurt, um, let's start <laughs> right. there first. But yeah, no. So I'm using the Arden Smart Call. And instead of dialing it in with the pounds and ounces, I just simply, I have my colors memorized. So I know my the yellow ball is ball number one through ball number five. So I only keep five of those in, in my live well with me because essentially I will take out, use the Rapala scale that has the bins on there. Yeah. I will weigh the yeah. fish. Bin number one coincides with my yellow ball, which is ball number one. And uh, that's that's how I do it. And uh, awesome. Go from there. How about yours? So I utilize the TH Marine call system and I actually record my weight of the fish if I'm catching a lot of fish. Otherwise, I'm just straight up using the balance beam system which sometimes I'm actually not even using my call clip for every fish, only the smaller fish. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Which, after all of these discussions I've had, realized that's not the best way to do this, Aaron. Yeah, I see. You're bringing, <laughs> so I'm you're changing my in. system. Yes, and this is why I wanted to have this conversation. I think one of the most important things that we can do after watching several people that are great culling anglers is have a routine. Have a routine and use that routine every event. You'll never end up with six in your live well. You'll never end up culling the wrong bass because some events you feel like, well, I'm only going to catch, you know, five or eight fish. I can just cull throughout the day because some of them are going to be three and four pounders and some of them are going to be one and two pounders, right? Right. And right. But other events you end up catching 20 or 25 fish and the weights are really close, right? So right. if you use the same routine every event, you'll alleviate yourself from getting in a pickle and making culling mistakes. So number and one, I, I think that's yeah. crucially important. And, and you know, Kurt, to tack on a little bit on that, I mean, that is why, whether it's right or wrong, but I think what you just mentioned in, in kind of bringing light to your own system, that is where mistakes are made. My system is five, I only keep five of those culling tags or balls in the live well with me. So mm. therefore, I know if those are all deployed, I, I've just caught my sixth fish. It is then time to call. Everything I, I first start out by weight assigning to those bins. Then I go back concerning with a balance beam. The bin system in that Rapala scale is good, but I want to make sure because when ounces count, you want to make sure and use that balance beam. I think that gives you a true reflection of which fish is going to be heavier over the other one. And then at that point in time, that's kind of where you get to, a, in my opinion, a, a refined Dial system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you got a 2.4 and a 2.5, well, was it windy? Was it wavy? Right. You know, you can right. throw it on the beam and be 100% accurate. And I usually find when I do that as well that the weight seems to be right, but it's always good to clarify with the beam because gravity don't lie. <laughs> That's right. That <laughs> Gravity exactly don't lie. Right. So uh, good stuff there. I feel like I've seen a lot of systems. Uh, I, I encourage people to watch Skeet Reese. Skeet Reese 
does not weigh his fish, but he has a fast, efficient method, in my opinion, to beam his fish very quickly. You look at a guy like Michael Neal. He takes time, weighs every fish, marks it down, knows what bin, just like your system is. You take a guy like Nick LeBrun using the AccuCall system, same thing. So I, I encourage some the anglers to come up with a system. Take some time this winter, refine a system, and I actually like the way and then beam later. And I'll tell you why I like that, specifically with smallmouth events. You don't have to handle the fish as much. You got a 2.7 or in a 2.4, you don't have to throw those on the on the beam. You know immediately, okay, I just weighed a 2.4, it's my sixth fish, it does not cull because 2.7 is my smallest. Or I weighed a 2.3, okay, easy, I see the 2.7 is my smallest, that's the only fish you got to grab and it's going back in the lake anyway. So I feel like those are all good things to do. Last thing I want to mention Belly weights, obviously really important to help in culling and keeping your catch alive, especially when catching fish. I would say 15 feet and plus, you'll see some fish get the bends. I've seen that many times. The final thing I want to mention is dead fish penalties. Okay. Aaron, this dead fish penalty of four ounces that is standard in the BASS and MLF system is archaic. Nobody out here is running around with live wells that don't work because they get checked before you launch your boat or as you're launching for the tournament. And number two, everyone is conservation-oriented in this world. We're all for catch-way release. We're all for releasing the fish after weighing. So just because a fish decides to eat your bait a little deep or you know you have an issue maybe with a dead fish, a four-ounce penalty, dude, is too much. We need to knock that back to two ounces or something. Because if you have five that are dead, that's 20 ounces. That's affecting the algae. That's a pound, four ounces. That's affecting the angler and the outcome. And maybe he didn't do anything wrong, right? Maybe his battery died or maybe the pump went out or something extreme happened. A guy shouldn't be penalized that much or, or any angler shouldn't be penalized that much for it. So I think that dead fish penalty is archaic. I think we need to move to two ounces. What's your take? Yeah, uh, you know, I think, you know, that's a different way to look at it. I guess I never thought about that, Kurt, just because I'm so conditioned, I think, from the tournaments that they've always been there. But like you said, in this day and age, the equipment is such to where, you know, all of the boats, all of the technology, everything is there. Nobody wants to come in with a dead fish. So uh, very, very interesting, I would say. And I've even seen some tournaments to where you lose the fish, you know, the weight of the fish, um, oh, which, is, which yeah. is excessive. So um, anyway, one thing I do want to add as we close down here you know kurt and i i'm sure you're probably familiar with this too but i got tipped into like cutting pool noodles the width of my uh, live well and what yeah. that does actually is it creates the fish from banging against the top lid but also creates an airspace to where the water when you know fishing back in the summer and the and heading into that early part of fall when those water temperatures are up there keeps that a little bit cooler in the live well so one thing there because they're very easy to reach through i don't know if you use those or not uh, i have used them and, and i think they work great and i completely agree that's a great tip and, and I think everyone should use the noodles. I think boat manufacturers should make a better lid. 
Yes. Yes. (laughs) Great point. Great point. But but yeah, that's part of that process. So, um, Hopefully everybody enjoyed this quick discussion on culling. We could take this to all new levels, I think, right, Aaron? But uh, this is just, you know, kind of the tip of the iceberg. Think about this process. Don't become one of those anglers that makes a mistake uh, because you're going to slap yourself silly over it. Have a routine. Stick to your routine every tournament. Have an effective routine. It's going to make you a better angler. It's going to make you more efficient on the water. And you're going to avoid terrible potential mishaps. Bass Edge Nation, we're going to roll into the feature angler spotlight. Y'all stay tuned right after this message. I am BASS Elite Series Angler Matt Airy. This is Bassmaster Elite Series Pro Bill Lowen. This is BASS Elite Series Angler KJ Queen. This is BASS Elite Series Pro Jake Whitaker. I am Pro Angler Brett Height. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The final 2022 event of the Bassmaster Elite Series was on the Mississippi River in Wisconsin last month. And we have with us today the champ in the featured angler spotlight. To knocking down two major tour wins in a row in the same impoundment is not common. We're going to work to break this down with BAS Elite Series angler Brian Schmidt. Awesome to have you on the program again, Brian. Aaron, Kurt, I'm very, very, very excited to be here. It means I did something good, you know, so I'm excited to be back with you guys. Um, you know, just blown away, still in the kind of shock stage, to be honest with you. Let's uh, run with that a little bit, Brian, you know, and, and again, congrats on the win. What is it with you and the upper Mississippi? I, I mean, seriously, an FLW tour victory there in 2017 and now the elite series win in 2022. You know, I really don't know. It's, it's one of those deals like, yes, I saw it on the schedule coming into 2022 and I checked it down as, you know, hey, that's one I'm looking forward, you know, forward to, but, you know, when you have history, like I did there, I've been there one other time and I won, I'm like, surely lightning's not going to strike again. I didn't want to put that pressure on myself, but it happened again. And, you know, it's just one of those deals, man. I think I really understand that fishery. It's so similar in so many ways to where I, fish you know pretty much my whole life on the potomac and stuff and uh you know it's full of grass it's a river fishery and and they're biting you know so it's just about finding the biggest fish and and possibly finding somewhere that's not pressured so you know i don't know i just definitely connect there you know it's it's a tremendous fishery you know you you look forward to going there it's going to be fun 
which is a rarity anymore. Seems like fishing's getting tougher everywhere we go. But <laughs> I've been lucky. Just a very, very awesome deal there. It's it's super cool to see Brian. You know, doing the research, looking at that 2017 event, looking at this 2022 event, all your other you know success that you've had on river systems. You know, both of these wins, you describe them in your winning pattern, your winning ways as ditches that were kind of that primary focus. Can you explain what makes this type of structure so important and how you actually go about locating them? Okay, so the biggest thing I can say about ditches and how it sets up and how it plays out for me is, you know, a river situation a lot of times you're going to fish what you visually see. You know, river, current, it makes fish live shallow. Rarely are they out there in 10, 15 foot of water, so you're fishing visual cover. So you can see channel swings. You can see edges and grass. But if you are so lucky to find a ditch, per se, that cuts through a major flat that you can't see with your eyes, it's is a current situation it's a feeding situation that not everybody's seeing and you put that in a massive area that's full of grass that has the same depth forever and you put a little sneaky ditch that runs through there it could be a gold mine and uh you know the current in a ditch the current is still making an eddy you just it's not as visual as if it's like a channel swing bank or an undercut bank. It's doing the same thing, just below the surface. That makes sense. Finding them, I'm sure, uh, hopefully we'll get into a little bit later of, of how you did that. But one question I want to bring up, Brian, is, you know, in 2017, Largemouth played a pretty significant role, you know, in your victory. This year, a little different. The smallmouth played a much greater role in your win. Is that something that you expected or, you know, just kind of discovered as the tournament went on? I discovered as the tournament went on and practice went on. So in 2017, I believe all species, largemouth and smallmouth, were spawning and relating to spawning. So, you know, there is a tremendous amount of smallmouth in that fishery that I just learned about this past event. And I think, you know, when we were there in 2017, they're not showing themselves, they're not schooling. This time we were in August. It was starting to get late in the year for that far north. They were schooling. I mean, they were together. They were feeding. They were breaking the surface in areas. Just weren't finding a lot of really big ones. They had some nice size fish, you know, three and a half, four pound frames, but they're very skinny. But felt like there were so many and so easy to catch that it was like a safety net that you had if you had that you know, scenario where you had a schooling spot for them. You felt like all bets are off. You're struggling last minute. You still had a place that you could go get a limit of smallmouth really, really quick. And they were abundance of them this, this past tournament. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. You know, we've seen uh, that one other time on the Mississippi, and I think that was the year that Fighter won or did very well in, in that tournament. And he also was uh, catching a lot of a lot of those larger smallmouth, but uh, it seems like yeah, that's maybe a seasonal behavior trend that that occurs later in the year on on that estuary. Mm-hmm. So um, interesting how that came together, and they're using those same places that you're finding 
the large mouth, you're finding the small mouth, same thing in those ditches. Let's go back to what Aaron mentioned. How are you locating those ditches? Or is that is it something that's just purely you're using your mapping? Is is it, you know, just time on the water and coming across those places? Do you have some keys that you can help people find those ditches to locate these groups of bass in river systems? So, you know, 2017, in practice, the water was a normal level, and I was actually able to see a ditch visually as the tournament went on. This grass edge ditch became submerged, but I knew where it was. So it was still a valuable asset because I knew exactly where it was. You couldn't see it anymore. This event, I was in a massive area. I'm talking about miles of the same depth and wall-to-wall topped-out eelgrass. Mm. Maybe if you flew over it with a helicopter or something, you could see a little bald spot. But I was luckily just running around through this area on pad, and I came to a bald spot. I'm always keeping an eye on my 2D sonar when I'm running around, you know, 35, 40 miles per hour. There's a quick little bald spot. And I noticed in that bald spot, there was also a slight depth change. It dropped off a few feet. So I turned around, put the trolling motor down. A lot of guys took their live scope off their trolling motor or their forward-facing sonar because their fish is so set, fishing so shallow, they didn't want to get a lot of grass and uh-huh. stuff. I left mine on, turned it on, and when I shined it towards that ditch, my goodness, the amount of light. <laughs> so that's how that all happened, you know, and once you start to realize what happened there towards the downriver side of that ditch, there was a high spot. So you had a ditch that was dead ending into a high spot. So there was 100% a eddy situation going on there. It, it sounds like I know what I'm looking for, and but it was purely luck. I was That's in cool. the right area. A good friend of mine, Kurt Dove, told me a long time ago the area <laughs> to focus on. And I stay in that area, and, and thank goodness I was able to find it again. That is so cool, dude. Not often do people talk about running to find structure. I've done it a few times myself. You, you kind of get lucky, like you say. You you kind of come across something, but you got to be paying attention to find those things, and, and that's exactly obviously how that played out for you. Um, you know, we, we talk often about if you look through past history, swim jig's been a big lure for you over your days. Uh, you know, we, we could go into a lot of those, you know, uh, coastal winds, open winds, uh, different thing that you've done in your career. Your your first win there on the Mississippi, primarily uh, I, on a swim jig. I think, jig. Kurt, we did a whole episode with Brian yes. uh, on, on swim jig. I mean, he's he's the dude. You know, he's the guy. <laughs> that, that is right. This tournament, though, Aaron, it was cool to see Brian take the Nico, a drop shot, top water and a carolina rig brian from your perspective what is it that alters these behaviors to make specific techniques better than others throughout the year because it had to be one of those deals where you know you're trying to rely on strengths you see these fish light up on your scope when you find this ditch and you probably think oh i'm gonna i'm gonna swim my my little schmitty through these guys and it's lights out but 
It's not how it played out. How did that all come together? And why do you think these fish behaviors are changing to the techniques that you had to use to get this win? So to create value to that, to, to this answer is 100% I am a swim jig nut. If you put <laughs> me on a river with grass, I'm going to push that technique. I know it exists. And I feel like if I can find it, I can do it with the best of them. So coming into that last event, you better believe I pushed it and I tried it and I wanted it to happen. Of course, after the event, I did notice a couple anglers were doing it that did very well. I could not get it going. I don't know if I was focusing on a little bit deeper water, but Thank goodness through my experience now and evolving a little bit as an angler, I try not to sink with a technique. I try not to force a technique anymore, and I'm willing to adjust and expand. Mm. And luckily, I, I know, you know, through watching videos and, and past events there, they, they like a Carolina rig. And, you know, the first day of the tournament, I wanted to catch them on a swim jig and a vibrating jig. That's what I called them on in practice. And I don't know what changed in just, we didn't even have an off day. At 10 o'clock, I didn't have anything. And I picked up the drop shot in these same areas and caught the 1710, which was the biggest bag. And that showed me these fish are still here. Did the pressure make them want to stop chasing? Something happened that they wanted a slower presentation and I was, you know, once you get a couple bites like I did that first day on that river, you know, the size of them, I knew it was the right deal. I knew I needed to slow down. So I let the fish tell me, and I listened, and, and it worked out. But it was so easy to keep throwing the vibrating jig or swim jig and maybe not do as well as I did. You know, it was, it was cool to watch uh, the video. Bassmaster put together a really nice video of your win and, and really highlighted a lot of your fish catches. You can tell that the fish were shy. <laughs> you know, you'd get a bite and, and you'd feel them. You could see you getting ready to set the hook and then not and then get ready to set and then not because they were kind of nipping at, at things. And and maybe that was just that, like you say, pressure, the fall time of year, the fish are skinny, they're not feeding heavy, but you found some of these magic areas. And I assume as you're changing techniques and, and working different techniques in this pile of fish, in this ditch, and, and a few mm -hmm. other areas, that you're kind of force feeding them and that helped with these different techniques? Because you could tell they just weren't fired up every day, right? Yes, it, it kind of reminded me of like a um, clear water schooling, you know, a schooling bite, you know, like a mm. September Lake Hartwell. Like they're there and like they're just waiting for bait to swim by. But man, they are tough to catch unless they're activated by some bait swimming through. And, you know, that's what it kind of reminded. Even on the special northern fishery that they're supposed to just jump in the boat, they were just dialed in to what they wanted to feed on and they wouldn't just fight anything. And for some reason, as the week went on, the Carolina rig really shined. I mean, it was just like that was the hardest bite that, you know, you can learn a lot just from a bite. 
just how hard they bite or how hard they hold on to a bait. And that seemed to be the number one deal. They were really hard on a drop shot there. Now, I sat there for hours, and I threw, believe me, I threw all my little Schmitty swim jigs. I threw (laughs) everything. I gave them the whole works, and they just wouldn't bite it on that particular place. Now, Keith Combs, who I saw who wasn't far from me, he was catching them on a swim jig. Yeah, you know, it was cool. And then, and then on the last day in that video, it shows how well you caught them on a walking bait, and yeah, uh, you know, they kind of got fired up, and and every day is just so different, man. And 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 that's why you win the event, right? You're able to adjust. You're able to, uh, you know, use this myriad of techniques that you've got confidence in to take it to the next level. Yeah, it was just really cool to watch the change throughout the week, you know, just to watch the fishery change, you know, not just the the fishing, but, you know, the water was coming up again. You know, the grass was starting to get submerged. It, It was changing so much, man. And I don't know, they were just coming to that place is what I believe. They were coming to that particular place that I was fishing, and I believe there's probably more places like that that just didn't get found. Sure, sure. Man, Brian, great stuff. Hold the line. We're going to power pole down for a moment. We're going to be right back with more winning river strategies from BASS Elite Series angler Brian Schmidt. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with BASS Elite Series Pro Brian Schmidt in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Brian, let's talk about today's bassin. You know, we're here mid-October uh, as we transition into fall fishing on rivers. What changes will you anticipate the bass to make and how will you adjust accordingly to catch them well? Okay, so it's a really cool time of the year to fish. And I really love it because a lot of people start to transition to hunting. You know, they stop thinking about fishing. They start thinking about hunting. So the fish actually get a little bit of a break and you can get out there and you're not fighting the boats. So, you know, on a river fishery, let's just take the Potomac where I live. You know, you get into October, you start to get a cool down. The grass is starting to break up some. You know, your thick, matted areas that have been topped out all summer long, that have been impenetrable, you know, they're starting to break up. And I noticed that the fish start to move as well, and they start to look for the cleanest, best habitat that's left for them, and they can really, really stack up. So the best way to cover this scenario is, you know, now you can work something over top of the grass. Let's tie on a buzz bait. Let's tie on a vibrating jig. Let's tie on a swim jig and let's get cover in water. And then the fish are going to tell you where they're at. And man, you can really find a lot of them. You know, could it be just a little bit cleaner grass? Could it be somewhere the grass is just holding on a little bit better? Or is it somewhere that's become really sparse that was really thick? Whatever it is, it's probably a little bit a combination of 
good grass and a good amount of bait and you find that and it can be really really fun well brian like we mentioned with the swim jigs and in kind of your expertise there it's also no secret that uh, you're also a, quite honestly a grass expert how do you see kind of the grass i guess changing or the dynamics of of, of what grass does in the fall due to the temperatures and shorter days and then how do you take that and adjust kind of and translate that into fish behavior okay so you know as the days get shorter the grass is starting to deplete. So here's the biggest thing, and this is kind of like a sneaky little tip for guys, you know, milfoil, milfoil proper stays on a fishery year round. It might become dormant, but it's still there. Your hydrilla, your eelgrass, your river grass, all these other kind of grasses sometimes can just get taken away by the time of year. They need a certain amount of sunlight or temperature. So your milfoil stays true. Simply find the milfoil a lot of times in the fall as the days get shorter will help you locate fish a lot quicker. You know, sometimes there's still a little bit of hydrilla left over in some places and there's some fish using it. But if you simply just target the milfoil, you know that going to stay around the fish have learned that as well so that's a little tip there brian even as the grass starts turning brown will that lead you to move away from it or as long as it's there you feel like fish are going to be using it is that correct yes so 100 as long as it's still there there is a chance Somewhere on a fishery, I don't care if you get into November, December, in Maryland, it can be very cold. There is somewhere that the mother load of all mother loads is using the leftover grass, and it could look nasty. It could be brown. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's a lot of food there as well. So they have cover, and it might not look the most ideal at this time of year, but it's some kind of cover for them to get in and there's food around. And I've caught them in some nasty-looking grass, you know, Mm -hmm. later in the fall and caught them big, but it's the last little bit of habitat they have left. So don't let that scare you. Sometimes it doesn't have to look the best to have the best. Cool. Brian, you made uh, made some interesting comments, and, and I actually saw a lot of people kind of repost some of these comments on social media on stage when you won there on the Mississippi concerning, you know, some of the volatility of being a bass pro. As an extremely successful angler, you even see the struggles to stay on top of the bass fishing game. Is it just the essence of kind of professional sports? You know, it's a eat or be eaten. You know, it's I mean, that, that's kind of what pro sports is, right? You know, it's the, the creme de la creme, the best of the best best it's it's hard to get there and maybe harder to stay there i'm not sure but do you see some alternatives that organizations can change to help make a career as a pro angler be more stable or do you just feel like that's part of being in a professional sport you know i could talk to you about this for a whole episode you know so (laughs) right it's a tremendous subject right now i think right now is the most popular time to want to become a professional fisherman. And I think the biggest thing, Kurt, is it's part of professional sports. So, you know, when you're on television and you're on these websites, everything's live, social media, and, you know, anglers are portrayed as superstars. It makes 
people want to do that same thing. They want to be part of that same thing. And it's just like watching a basketball game, watching LeBron James dominate or something like that. There's people that are training to be that. They want to be you. And me as a lead angler, I have to know that I'm very fortunate to be here. And I need to remember there's a million people trying to be where I'm at. So I have to stay hungry. So what I try to express to everybody, you know, especially, you know, some of the younger guys is, this is not all that easy. Like you think, oh man, he made it to the elite series. It's all good. No, sir. The work <laughs> just the work just started, and it it is a humbling, trying, stressful situation. But it is so rewarding at the same time. So you know, it's a privilege to be here, and you got to keep the mindset that there's a lot of people that would love to take your position, and I don't think there's any way to change it to keep the same value that it portrays you know you can't just say all right it's going to be a hundred guys and these are the hundred guys that are going to be here forever because that would eliminate everybody's want to be there because there's no chance to be there anymore you know so you got to have the option for guys to become an elite angler so you know that entails there's going to be guys that get eliminated from being an elite angler it's a tough deal i'm always stressed out it's it's never just an easy thing you know, for me, now there's some other guys like Brandon Polinek and Seth Fider and some of these guys that, I mean, they just got a top 10 in AOI as soon as they leave for the beginning of the season. You know, they're that good and they don't have to worry about requalifying. But their stress is something else, right, Kurt? Their stress could be, you know, they need to win an AOI or they're not successful or they need to make the classic every year. So there's different stress levels for everybody and it's never going to get easy yeah I th- that's a great breakdown brian I, I think the the stress is relative to what your current situation or your current environment is it's going to be a little bit different yeah. regardless it's not easy right <laughs> stress is stress and it's going to cause the same thing same impact on your body perhaps uh, so anyway hey before we jump into the listener question y- you brought up an interesting uh comment earlier that i do want to go back on and you know we spent a lot of time talking about forward-facing sonar since it's came out you mentioned that you decided to leave your forward-facing sonar on for the tournament understandably a lot of people took it off because if if that's wrapping around right maybe you don't get the reading maybe you just think you're it's not going to be a player but a what caused you to leave that on and do you because i know you're a fan of it do you often use uh your forward-facing sonar in shallow water so i am a huge huge fan of the forward-facing sonar you know the garmin live scope is incredible it has saved me so many times i hate to keep saying this because i wish you know it was a secret but it's not and i apply it everywhere i go you know now there's certain fisheries that you can apply more than others but even on a shallow river fishery there's always somewhere that you can apply it hey sparser grass situations you know three and four feet I can see little areas, you know, I'm scanning around while I'm casting. I see a little bald spot over there and two fish swimming around in there. Well, I know they're bass. You know, it always helps you. You're always learning. You got to know when to turn it off. But a few years ago, let's just say this, you know, we're on a fishery, any kind of fishery, and, and you're struggling. You know, you can't get it going. Well, it's just a tough day. If that fishery allows me to apply live scope, 
I'm not stressing until I got a turn in my float at the at the very last second. I know at any turn of that trolling motor, I can see two fish right over there that are willing to bite that aren't related to an obvious piece of structure. They might just be out there swimming in no man's land, and I can get them to bite and get them in the boat quick. And it's a tool that is tremendously valuable. It's pretty much the biggest thing going right now. You have to get to use it, guys. You have to put some time in it and get the confidence in it because it's the biggest tool in fishing as we speak. Brian, let's dive into uh, that listener question that Aaron alluded to. We've got uh, Glenn McMurray sent in this question, and uh, Glenn's from New York. He wants to ask this, how effective are swim jigs and vibrating jigs on smallmouth? I hear a lot about drop shots, Ned rigs, and those popular tournament strategies on the St. Lawrence and Champlain, but would really like to expand my game if they can be effective. So for sure, you know, to answer that question, Glenn, you know, smallmouth are opportunists, they're feeders. There's always a population of smallmouth. I don't care what time of year that are shallow. And it could be condition related, you know, sunny days. It seems like they like to get up shallow and use their vision. They got really good vision to feed or sun themselves or whatever it is. The vibrating jig and swim jig is a deadly tool when it comes to smallmouth. People associate, just like you said, drop shots, finesse techniques, or even like a jerk bait. Well, these two techniques, vibrating jigs and swim jigs, help you cover water. They will absolutely eat these baits, but they will also show you where the smallmouth are. So you're covering water, which is a big thing. It's hard to cover water with a drop shot. And all of a sudden, hey, you catch a smallmouth. Well, you know, a couple casts later, you get a couple bites on the same cast. Well, right as you're getting ready to pull a swim jig out of the water, you notice there's a whole school of smallmouth following it. Well, might not have caught them, but you have learned where they're at. And that could be more valuable than anything. So these are tools that you need to apply, you know, especially getting a little bit of grass and rock mix. You can work it through there and you can learn where they're at. And they will actually catch them as well. I've caught some really, really big fish, big smallmouth on Champlain on a white swim jig. So it's an excellent tool. Well, Brian, uh, thanks for tackling that question. Glenn, one more thing that we need from you is to simply log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, let us know that you heard Brian answer your question right here on episode 386. And we're going to get the uh, Midway USA gift card for all things bass fishing and the outdoors. Uh, you're going to get to spend that freely there at MidwayUSA.com. A uh, continued reminder to Bass Edge listeners, log into BassEdge.com. Simply click the Ask the Pros tab, or you can uh, – usually we have a post or two once or twice a month, I should say, um, there on our social media platforms, and you can fire in those questions there on the comments section. Love to hear from you. Get your question answered right here on the show with – great anglers like brian schmidt well brian congrats on a uh, great season and good luck at the toyota championship next month any closing thoughts for bass edge listeners yeah so here here's a good good little thought that i was just thinking about here guys you know there's always a textbook there's this common knowledge for fishing for tournament fishing 
you know, this is what should be going on. This is what you're supposed to do on this fishery. Take a day, take a half a day. If you're, you know, if you're going to a body of water, if you're going for, you know, just, just to go have fun, or if you're going to fish at a tournament, take a half a day to a day and do something totally opposite of what the textbook says you're supposed to be doing. You know, if you ever are fortunate enough to find fish doing something they're not supposed to be doing or a location they're not supposed to be at due to the history of that fishery, sometimes that could be a special deal. So definitely check that out. If you're willing to try it, you're going to fail more than you will succeed. But when you succeed, it'll be some of the best fishing you ever see. Great advice, Brian. Thanks for being here. Obviously, appreciate you sharing your knowledge with Bass Edge Radio. As Aaron just mentioned, Toyota Championship coming up soon. I think that's probably your last event of the year, Gunnersville. You got any uh, quick foresight for us on that event? I think it is going to be a beatdown. <laughs> I think Gunnersville's on a major comeback. It's full of grass. It's got current, and we're going to get into a time of year where they're really starting to gang up and feed. I'm excited. Did you guys know I like fishing grass? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've heard that. Yeah. I think we've heard that, man. We are going to be watching, obviously, again, uh, wishing you the best of luck down there, but we'll definitely tune in to uh, the Toyota Championship. I believe it's November 2 through 4 down there at Lake Gunnersville. Someone's going to walk home with $200,000, probably a guy that likes to fish grass. So <laughs> it'll be fun to watch. All right, everyone, hang right there. Aaron and I will have some final thoughts right after this short break. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Well, as we put 386 to rest, Kurt, uh, another strong episode. Always good having Brian back on the episode, especially after a win. And to see it back-to-back on the same impoundment, talking about adaptability, because it's not even the same time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Totally different. You know, he mentions and talks about utilizing some of the same structure, I guess you'd call it, you know, that the fish tend to relate to on a river system, right? And then, though, what was cool about this was, you know, not utilizing the same technique all the time. And 
and he talked about how it changed throughout the event, whether it was a Nico rig or drop shot, top water Carolina rig, all kind of different than his preferred methods of swim jigging and <laughs> throwing a vibrating crankbait. So, uh, you know, he's been able to take this method of catching fish. And really, I think this ditch scenario, Aaron, is kind of like they're holding schools of fish, right? right. And similar to like, let's say a Kentucky Lake ledge versus a Kentucky Lake hump or something, right? When you find that hard spot on the ledge, you find those schools. Maybe when you're on top of that hump, you're catching one here or one there. In this river scenario, instead of frogging up one here or one there or flipping to a piece of bush, one here, one there, Schmidt is finding schools of bass in these ditches. Pretty neat. And how he found out, I love his transparency. He's like, hey, you know, he knows he's a he's a solid angler, but he also kind of said, just happened to be running out across on pad, across the eelgrass, you know, acres and acres of it. You know, was paying attention and saw that bare spot and then also left his his live scope on. I mean, just so many things to for him to be able to capitalize on that. Hats off to him. I think that's a lost thought with live scope these days, side scan, that kind of I can remember many times on Lake Amistad that I have found a lot of fish running 30 or so miles an hour, you know, kind of just on plane cruising around and going, wait, what was that? You know, paying attention to that 2D can be very, very helpful. Obviously help lead Brian to win number two on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Aaron, let's circle back real quick on that seg B we did, culling. What are some final tips you can give some people after that process that we kind of went through, at least sparked some thought process, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be, the, it's, it's the system. Having a system that you're going to replicate every time to get into that rhythm so that it takes all the emotion out of it. Because when you're catching fish, like you know this, Kurt, and maybe it's smallmouth or, or maybe you've gotten on the street of largemouth and it's fast and furious your adrenaline's running if, if you automatically go to step a step b you know and so on and so forth and you follow that it takes the margin of error for mistakes out and i think that is my takeaway from whatever system you decide or however you decide to do it that is my takeaway right do the same thing every time i, I gotta give a shout out to uh column right man i don't remember when column right launched but it's gotta be one of the og culling systems out there yeah, and it was I, I a think way it's gotta be one of the original for sure. Yeah, dude. It was one of those weighing systems where you weigh each fish and then you have a color. But I do love that ardent system that you use and dialing in the weight or, you know, that AccuCull system is similar. But man, those types of systems, I feel like less stress on the fish and less margin of error. If it comes down to really close, you can still throw them on a balance beam and release the smallest one very quickly and effectively. So, uh, man, good stuff, dude. Thanks for a great show, man. I yeah. think we knocked this one a little bit, right? Absolutely. Always a strong work and effort on your part. So in the meantime, we will be back on the mic in a couple of weeks for the November 1st. Have a wonderful holiday. Uh, holiday. Have a wonderful Halloween, I should say. Of course, it is a holiday in your household, Kurt. But uh, yeah, <laughs> just want to want to thank all Bass Edge Nation for uh, choosing to spend your time with us. Be sure to follow us on all things social media through Bass Edge and certainly the website. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to being with all of you in two weeks. So long, everybody. The Edge 
is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.